Blog Talk Radio. And good evening. My name is Ryan Miner, and you are listening to A Minor Detail. Uh, tonight we are scheduled to have Delegate David Vogt, also a Republican congressional candidate. Uh, Delegate Vogt is scheduled to come on, and we're going to talk about the first day of legislative session. We're going to talk about the 6th Congressional District race, and we're going to talk about uh, his thoughts on the first Republican debate. And uh, we'll get delegates, the delegates' opinion about all kinds of issues and how he's doing his campaign. So and when delegate vote is scheduled to call in, so the number is 646-716-5971. So <laughs> I'm just waiting for delegate vote to call in. Yeah, so we talked the other night about the Republican debate. Delegate vote was a participant. And I'm looking forward to... Uh, Looking forward to hearing his perspective about the 6th Congressional District. Okay. I think we have delegate vote on the line. Yes, this is me. How, how's it going, Ryan? Hey, hey, how are you doing? I live in the dream every day, bro. Oh, man. How's uh, how's Annapolis treating you? You keeping warm? Yeah. It's been a, I think the cold front came over in the last couple of days just to be ready for a session, kind of like the beginning of last session. And Governor Hogan said in his inauguration that it would be a cold day in hell, and sure enough, we got a storm and cold front right at the beginning of last year, too. So, Yeah, the Democrats also said it would be a cold day in hell when we elect a Republican governor, and it's pretty cold. That, that's exactly right. Well, that must mean we've got some good stuff going, ready to show them what leadership really looks like. I think so. Um, and this is your... This is your second first day of uh, session, and you were sworn in um, sometime around this year, la- uh, this time last year. That's correct. Um, so, what's it like? What's the difference between your your first and second legis- uh, start of session? Well, one of the first things that's going to be new is, you know, as they said today during our first session of this year, is we're going to be going up against. They're going to try, attempt to override vetoes that the governor signed la- at the end of the last year, or last session anyway. And out of what I believe was 100 vetoes that the governor signed, they sustained, or we as a body sustained 95 of them, and they're going to attempt to come back with five different ones and try to override those vetoes. And we're going to see they were special ordered for next Wednesday so that they could basically try to count their votes see if they have the votes it takes to override. So that'll be different in that regard. Yeah. I mean, is this purely partisan? Yes. Uh, I know know, we've talked about within the caucus, you know, the five bills that are looking like they're going to attempt at least to have discussions and see if they have the votes for. And the best of my knowledge, they're going to basically come down to party lines. And in all honesty, I, I know that there, there was quite a few new uh, Democrats came into the legislature with me as well that a lot of them were fed up with the partisan garbage and just doing what the Speaker of the House told them. So I'm not entirely convinced they're going to have the votes to be able to override. Yeah. So you so you got settled into your office, and uh, what, what building are you in? In the House office building. 
Okay, so you're uh, so who do you share an office with this year? Uh, Delegate Susan McComas. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's a good. She's a great person. Um, Absolutely. And uh, you you've probably been running around all day. I bet it's been interesting. Yes, it, it, it was. This morning we had some meetings, kind of in the morning, getting talking to a lot of different folks, a lot of constituents up here, a lot of different special interest groups. Yeah, it's been a good amount of time in our offices these first couple of weeks. And then we went into session at noon, and then after that, then we start to see a lot of the you know, organizations across the state do like to bring us together and, and talk to us, you know, talk about their, you know, their businesses, their small businesses and companies that are, you know, have interest. Today was a couple of different ones, one of which was the beverage you know, companies and you know, how those play into what kind of legislation we're going to see, really. And um, then that that was a lot of today, and I think we're probably going to you know, get busy pretty quickly. You know, committee meetings start tomorrow, and you know, after, with the 90-day session, we kind of hit the rubber with the road real fast. Yeah, yeah, you guys are you're going to hit the road real quick. And uh so for people that aren't familiar with the how session works, you're there for 90 days and that lasts until the middle sometime in the middle of April. And April 11th. Um, yeah, April 11th. And you're typically in session from Monday until Friday, is that correct? You're you're pretty much out the door by Friday afternoon. In most cases, yeah. As we get most further into the session, it, it goes later in the days, the beginning, Friday afternoon. Yeah. Um, and so people want to know, what do you guys do during? <laughs> what do you What do you legislators do? I mean, what's the old saying that uh, when when you guys are in session, your wallets are never safe? I I know that's not true about our Frederick County delegation, but hey, where I'm from, down here in Montgomery County, when these guys are in session, we got to hold on to our wallets. It's scary. You're absolutely right. I mean, until last year, you know, we'd seen them force taxes down the throat of the legislature, you know, every year for 10 years. And last year was the first session that we saw everything get through, get signed off on budget passed without any new taxes in a decade. And where, you know, that's actually two of the five bills that it sounds like they may be attempting to override the veto may potentially include tax increases. One is specifically towards one of the counties and the other, it would be a statewide, you know, towards the hotel industry and with accommodations. And if they override those vetoes, it'll kill that. You know, we were able to do that last year, but I, I believe we could be able to put up a good fight with them. That's and good. For the I most mean, part, we're committed to that. I know Governor Hogan's committed to that, continuing at least this year and the rest of this term, warding off the increased taxes that we saw became a history with Governor O'Malley. And in exchange, you know, I know that there's a tax you know, rebates and redu- reductions that's going to be a big push for us this year. Walk us through. I'm reading. There's a post article that articulates how session may go, and the the article was written on January 9th, and it says, as of last Friday, the office, the office of 
Legislative Services had received 16,000 or I'm sorry, 1,684 bill draft requests, 500 more than it had received during last session. And uh, it said many in Annapolis credit the outpouring to the 69 lawmakers who were elected in 2014. And like Hogan, they now have a year of experience under their belt. So um, what are your bills? What are you putting in uh, into the hopper? Well, I have a, a few that have carried over from last year. Uh, I only put, I think, three forward last year that didn't pass four total. And I'm carrying those three over. Uh, one of which is, you know, it came up because of an issue that was local, specifically to an event someone I'm close friends with in Frederick County, but I had actually since heard is really an issue statewide. That's called Ben's Rule, and that really is targeting. We've got special needs students on every level of education, yeah. statewide, K through 12, and you know what had happened, what occurred in Frederick County was. And one of these students with special needs, the parents explicitly asked that the school not force them to be mandatorily tested, as we see with park testing and standardized testing, because the student's just not capable of performing at his age level because of his special needs. And the school tested him anyways without the authority of the parents. And that's where they came to me and said that there should be a restriction that they cannot do this to our your special needs students. One of the you know, important things for me is always protecting those who can't protect themselves yeah. and helping those that are most vulnerable. And so last year they completely blocked that from being having a hearing because it came up the day after the bill file deadline. And so we've got that already ready and getting co-sponsors in line so that they can't give us that excuse this time. Another yeah, one... Yeah, it sounds like they gave a big ex- excuse last time. So, um, delegate vote. What so it's called? Is it, it would be called Ben's Law? Is that correct? Ben's Rule. I'm sorry, Ben's Rule. And do do you have some bipartisan support for this bill? Because it's a bill I believe in, and it's a, it's a bill that, um, you know, I know the family that you speak of, and it's a very personal. I mean, look, this is the heart and soul of what we call parental choice in our education system, and that was. Taken away from this, um, you know, this really great couple that has a son who has special needs, and I, I think it's tremendous work that you're trying to do. I just hope it has bipartisan support. I I know from talking to constituents across from various districts and also some of my colleagues that I completely believe it will have bipartisan support. And I know there's somewhere areas that we're going to need to make sure the language is contingent with federal regulations as far as they tie federal funding to testing, and we got to make sure that they don't you know, jeopardize that. But I, I believe, completely believe we'll have bipartisan support to get this passed. Um, <clears throat> do you, I hope so. Uh, it's, it's definitely a bill that, you know, <laughs> I don't want – if you don't want your child tested, a mandatory test, and they – and the school system goes ahead – and test your child against the wishes of parents, and that's a serious problem. And look, they're paying taxpayer dollars to send their kids to public schools, and 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 this is this results in the local level. And what's your uh, in Frederick County? Do you have support for this bill as well? Absolutely, it, that's good. it's something in Frederick County that I don't think 
I don't know any of our board members that are opposed to it. That's good. Um, and you think you'd have the support of the governor? Absolutely, yes. That's good. Um, you know, it's some sometimes it's it's tough being uh, a state legislator, and uh, you know, and Governor Hogan. Man, I don't envy his position. I mean, here's a guy. He just beat cancer. He's going into, and I think this is going to be probably a tougher battle than um, with some of the Democrats who are desperate. They're desperate delegate vote of ripping up his poll numbers and trying to uh, downplay his his fantastic work. And we all admit, uh, del- uh, delegate vote, that Governor Hogan had a great session uh, alongside his uh, last year, and, and so did the, the legislatures, many of the new delegates, including yourself. And I know that, the, you know, I hate to talk the partisanship, but I have a feeling that Democrats are going to try to do whatever they can to degrade um, the governor's performance and try to ruin his poll numbers. You know, I honestly and truly hope as a legislator that came into this wanting to see us in Maryland and as a country start to get beyond those types of you know, partisan battles that are refusing growth and development, I have to say that I hope that that's not the case. Now, yeah. if we go by history, it was the second session of Governor Bob Ehrlich where they went after him. Oh, yeah. And so we're going to see if they try the same type of tactics with Governor Hogan. I, I will say that the Speaker of the House and even some of the Democrat leadership on the U.S. Senate side both spoke in front of our legislature today, and they all gave praise and admiration and respect to Governor Hogan for what he's done in the last year. Some of that, obviously, on a personal level with his beating the battle of cancer, and some of that also he's doing a good job unifying Maryland. So if they turn around and attempt to come after him on partisan politics after they made those speeches today, then shame on them, because that's that's about as clear to faced politics as anybody could ever do. Yeah, I hear you. So I, mean, I, I hope that's that not what happens. I'm with you. I hope it doesn't, too, and I hope that there's compromise all around, and I think that the budget is always and invariably the biggest portion of session, and so Delegate vote, what's going to happen with the budget this year? Well, what we're going to see with the budget is we're coming in with uh, slightly over $400 million of cash balance in the, as a surplus in the budget, yeah. which, you know, depending on who you speak to, if you go talk to the Speaker of the House, President of the Senate, they're going to say, well, then that means we need to go spend $400 million more in this budget, <laughs> which is absolutely crazy considering anybody who knows what we've looked at the last several years, that $400 million was a matter of hard work and dedication and cutting areas in the budget last year to address the structural deficit that was going to bankrupt Maryland. Yeah, and thanks and, to O'Malley. And, exactly, thanks to the failed A3 tax increases of Governor Mark O'Malley. And I know, and I'm confident from hearing from Governor Hogan and the administration directly that Instead of continuing to go to spend more money, what we're going to do is two things. We're going to focus again in appropriations on the House side and in the budget and tech and management of the Senate side that we continue to control government spending and not let it get 
out of control like O'Malley did. And second is, if in fact things continue to go in a positive direction like they appear to be, find ways where we create putting the revenue back in on the people that have been broken by failed policies the last eight years before Governor Hogan. And um, that's yeah. where I really believe our focus is going to be. It's going to be a lot of hard work to get it there, but I know we've got dedicated leaders that are going to do that. If you win the Powerball ticket, will you will you donate money to to, to reduce our structural deficit? That's a trick question. Well, Don't answer that. Because <laughs> no politic. If a politician says, "Oh yeah, I donate," it's like, dude, you're lying. No, you wouldn't. You take it and run. <laughs> well, I'll be you. Know, I'll be more clearly honest with you. I I don't have one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I don't well, have a Powerball t- ticket, so I couldn't really answer that anyway. Um, actually, Kim and I were in a portion of your district tonight, uh, visiting a friend, and then we drove down to the Sheets right outside of the uh, the Frederick uh, the the mall, and we we got twenty bucks worth. Actually, she got twenty bucks worth. So if she wins, it's her money, and uh, she'll run. I know she'll she'll leave. <laughs> well, best of luck, and yeah, I hope that turns out way for us. <laughs> um, absolutely. So, um. You know, some of the criticisms that I hear from even Republicans for the governor and for the legislature, um, you know, I hear this, well, why hasn't he opted out of Common Core? And uh, can you explain that? I mean, because some people want to know, you know, other states have done it. Can Governor Hogan do it here in Maryland? And then what's next? Is is that something that he's considering or because I know you've been. You've been taking the lead delegate vote on some of the common the uh, protesting and opposing Common Core in, in Annapolis. Yes, absolutely, and it's one of the things that I was involved with a lot, you know, for a couple of years before coming down here. And you know, I've talked with the governor and the governor's staff that specifically work on education policy, and there is no disagreement at all that the Common Core curriculum is a very negative influence in a lot of areas. And there's also no disagreement in the sense that what we went into last session knowing or at least thinking that the park testing was going to be a train wreck, and then we got the results back a couple months ago, and it was exactly that. It was a train wreck. There's no disagreement there. Uh, where a lot of the you know constituents have felt the anguish of these tests coming because a lot of the pre-tests were stressing out our students and our parents and our teachers yeah. where the actual tests were. sounds great to be able to say, let's throw Common Core out with, like, a baby with a bathwater. Because yeah. it's horrendous. It's a disease. And I agree completely that it is a disease. But where the governor and the legislature even has to be a slightly you know, more apprehensive is we've got to have a approach and a replacement because we don't want to send our education system into a frenzy and not know what they're going to do. And that's really a lot of the conversation. I agree this is a bad policy. Yeah. What do we replace it with? How right. do we address that with a solution at the same time? And then the, the same thing goes with the testing that is applied to the Common Core. And you know, that's where... I really believe because we've seen the Congress at least start to take very small baby steps to realizing 
that race at the top was a train wreck. Yeah, oh yeah, it was. They really started maybe, hopefully, to wake up where we have an opportunity at the state level is to, okay, how do we take this crack in the door or the window and really seize the opportunity? And that's where I'm coming in this year. I'm coming in with a bill that's brand new. It's I've talked to school board folks, different districts across the state, and that's I have a bill that's proposing a pilot program on the testing side of things. And it is actually its connection to something I experienced personally, the armed services vocational the test, the ASVAB. Yeah. Test, it, it tests math, English, science, general technical skills. Everything you could possibly think of that would cover college and career readiness. Exactly what they claim the park testing and the common girl was meant to do. Except we've been using it for nearly 60 years to decide whether men or women are good enough or prepared to go into armed services at 18, 17 years old. And it's worked compared to what we're paying for these other standardized tests. Why don't we create, and that's what this bill will do, a pilot program to allow some of our schools to opt in, some of our districts to opt in to using this instead of the park test. Yeah, and I mean, I've, if that I've, is more successful, you've taken the ASVAB test, right? I think I have. Yeah, and, and I mean that's the that's the uh, marquee test to that is required. Yeah, should you join the military on the enlisted side? Exactly, and, and they they do take it on the officer side. They don't use it quite the same way, but they do take it. And if it's good enough to be the measurement of the what's going to be our men and women that protect our country, how is it not good enough to measure whether or not our kids are ready for college or career? Oh, I agree. And it will yeah. save us it will save us time, it will save us money, and it will free us from the burden of the bad common core and park test. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, switching so, directions just a bit, uh, Delegate Vote. You're also, are you, you're going to put in a bill uh, that revolves around term limits, is that correct? Absolutely, yes it is. Can you talk about that? And, and yes. What I did with that is I actually wanted to do some research into oh, it's one of the issues that is actually discussed a lot in the National Conference of Legislatures and you know, looking at other states across the union that has passed term limit bills. And in a lot of circumstances folks assume that it's going to be Republican state legislatures that pass term limits because that's a lot of what you hear nationally. But in all honesty, we have plenty of Democrat legislatures that have passed them as well. So what I wanted to do is I went in, did some studying on both sides, and found some ideas that would allow us to put term limits bill into action, adopted some ideas from conservative states, from further liberal states, and put them together that would be something that I believe really do will be bipartisan approach to put a term limits bill in action in Maryland, not because I'm, you know, yes, experience definitely warrants wisdom in some cases, but there needs to be some kind of requirement that holds us accountable as legislators. We can't or shouldn't have the ability to come down here, 
use the power of incumbency that anybody that's been elected is aware of and never have to be held accountable by voters ever again. And Definitely. that's what this bill is. I mean, and I'm hoping it... I was going to say that look at look at some of the people that run in, in places where it's almost impossible for a Republican to be elected in Maryland. And they're just... They, they run unopposed, and they can run and run and run and run. And look at look at Mike Miller and Mike Bush for an example. Do you do you really think that after all these years, yes, they may be politically astute, but shouldn't somebody else have a chance? I mean, sh- is it time to go? I, I maybe so. And I, I would agree with you completely. Uh, you know, we, there's the old old adage that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And when you've been in a position of power, like the President of the Senate or the Speaker of the House, on any level of government, there's absolutely no way you can argue that that does not disconnect you from the average voter. And we need some kind of controls, and I believe this is a good approach that approaches this from a universal standpoint that we should get bipartisan support for. I hope so. I mean, that and that's a national trend. Um and I'm hoping you also get some 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 bipartisan support for uh you know the, he, they're going to try to they're going to try to dip into I know some of the legis um you know this will be the legislation since the death of Freddie Gray and the riots in Baltimore City. And delegate vote I know that the Democrats they have a package of bills that's going to include initiatives for I believe workforce training uh, improving education, ad- addressing blight, um, and I think Baltimore City is going to be at the. It's going to get a lot of mentions during this this session, and you know that was a tragedy what happened with Baltimore uh, in Baltimore City, and I think Governor Hogan came out on top. He was a he showed what leadership means in his first year, and I'm really proud of him. And I know that uh, many of the delegation have. Um, Especially from Frederick County has commended the governor. So, what do we what do we expect to see with Baltimore City this this session? It's what I actually expect to see come out of Baltimore City, and really where they're going to be at the front of the conversation. In all reality, I don't expect it to be excessively different from what we saw last session. And in fact, the mayor of Baltimore was in front of the, the appropriations committee on a bill that was a joint committee bill because it affects some funding as well, is attempting to limit the law enforcement officer's bill of rights. And that's, I think, is because we saw in the Baltimore riots, I'm afraid it's going to be, they're going to double down on those attempts this year because they want to blame what happened on law enforcement officers. And i spent a long time since last April and May when we saw that happen, talking to law enforcement officers, talking to you know men and women that are close to or affected by law enforcement officers or even families thereof, and that it wasn't a matter of a failure of law enforcement officers on every level like some of the media has led us to believe, but I'm afraid that that's what they're going to go after because they went after it last year. And it got blocked. It, they weren't able to pass. And now they're going to come back and say, if we'd have passed this last year, this would have never happened. 
Baltimore riots would have never happened. Yeah. You guys failed last year. You need to make up for it this year. I hope that's not the case. But from knowing and talking to folks, I'm I'm fairly convinced that's what they're going to attempt to do. Um, so, you know, switching directions just a bit, um, yeah, I was reading also that several of your colleagues in the House of Delegates and some in the Senate, they're running for higher office, and you are as well. You're running for the United States Congress in Maryland's 6th Congressional District, and this is your second time running. And uh, how's it going? How's the campaign going? I think it's it's definitely going well. Uh, things are going to get extremely busy for the coming 90, well, 89 days now that we've had our first day of session uh, because, you know, I am very serious about my job as a delegate and what we've unfortunately seen, there's been other delegates and senators that have run for higher office before. It completely negated their responsibility in the, the assembly. I refuse to do that. I would do that under no circumstance. Uh-huh. So the next, you know, ninth game is going to be extremely busy because of that. But I'm excited about it. I think it provides a very unique opportunity where I can be active in our government directly hearing and speaking to what needs are out, what need to be addressed, and also out, you know, in a position to where I can both demonstrate the ability to take action and also, you know, hear at the same time what is becoming a day-to-day issue and what we're seeing, not just state level, but also nationally. So that's a unique opportunity. A campaign is going great. I am very optimistic in where we're headed. That's public in after 2016, and you know I'm excited. Well, you, you've uh, you've taken on John Delaney uh, several times, and uh, most recently, um, you know, reading through Facebook feeds, you've challenged him on Iran, you've challenged him on foreign policy, on economics and education, and delegate vote, you have some real disagreements with the congressman. Um, so, um, you know, why when, when you know, should you win the primary? And, you know, there's a number of there's what, eight candidates? There's like eight of you guys in this primary. It's huge. It reminds me of the 2012 primary when like 10 or 11 people ran. Remember that? Yeah, when they were they were about 10 of them along with the congressman Roscoe Bartlett. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like everybody, everybody ran for Congress that year, and a uh, little less this time. But um, you know, I think that this race has uh, you've uh, you've amassed quite a few endorsements from your colleagues in the House of Delegates, and including um, Delegate Mike McKay um, up in Cumberland, um, as well as Jason Buckle, who's a, a fantastic guy and. Um, great delegate um and as well as Mike McKay and uh I really like Brett I mean from my hometown Brett Wilson he's he's done a great job this past session I'm sure it's interesting to work with him he's a smart guy he is and he yeah. brings a breath of knowledge from law into this and what we need you know in the, the judiciary side of things but but extending down beyond that you've uh you've received quite a few endorsements from around the state so um, hey, it's your airtime. Go ahead and pump that if you like. Well, you know, the, the most honest thing I can say about that is I spent a lot of time with these 
men and women uh, that have become part of my, I think we're a little bit over 33 endorsements at local and up to state level. And from my aspect as an individual, it's it's kind of like I said back you know, when I was honored with being a Marine of the Year in 2010, it's not, I, I don't feel like it's necessarily an attestation of me as much as it is we've got a team of folks that we believe in each other and I'm humbled and they all you know, feel like an ideology in place in Annapolis that it's time to take that to Capitol Hill. And you know, we believe that and they've seen and I've had the opportunity to make successes with them. And they've humbled me with their endorsement and I see that as a huge responsibility to take that and make it known and communicate with the men and women that we're you know, elected to represent that our voters deserve someone on every level of government that is absolutely unapologetically going to serve them no matter how difficult the decision, no matter how long the hours under you know, blood, sweat, and tears. You know, I've had the chance to do that both in the public sector, serving in the military, in the Marine Corps, and now in the private sector, back in public life, in a role that people come to me now, and the first thing they do, they don't shake my hand or look at my face and say, hi, how you doing, David? It's they look at my feet to make sure I'm still wearing my combat boots. Because <laughs> they've, they've come to know me as that, well, I'm going to be in Annapolis fighting at their boots on the ground, and you know, my colleagues have come to say the same thing. I, I sat with them yesterday before we were even in session. And they're like, glad to see you're still wearing those boots because that's who you are. That's what we need. And, you know, it's, it's been a humbling thing, and I don't take that for granted at all. And I'm going to wear them every day until the day I die doing my job, and that's serving the people. And that's what we're here to do. That's what those endorsements are there to help. Yeah, I mean, you you've uh, you released an ad, uh, and the theme of it was "I'm going to be your boots on the ground," and it's certainly uh, a unique concept. And you know, I like it. Uh, I think it works, and it works for you. I mean, you wore them in combat. You uh, you're wearing them around the Capitol. You're wearing them as you campaign. And uh, hey, look, I, I've worn those boots before, but uh, do they ever get uncomfortable? <laughs> oh, they. They definitely get uncomfortable, especially at the end of a long day where probably miles put on them. They're very heavy. They're very exhausting, but it's still something that I say when I meet them, when I talk to folks. Even though they're, they can be exhausting, every day is still a pleasure and an honor to be able to serve. Absolutely. And that's what it's all about for me. It's not about you know attempting to win a Lifetime Achievement Medal for me. No. About service. No, and I, I appreciate, I appreciate that. Um, you were you were at a debate was it last Thursday, and there was, you know, it's one great thing is they all showed up. Everybody showed up, um, and you had a, you talked about some issues, and so what? Uh, let's talk a little bit about the debate from last week. What did you think? Did you think it was? I mean, how do you think it went? I think the debate was great. I mean, everything from I think I mentioned this in the debate. When you get a room of men and women together 
that we've got, not only do we have a panel of eight five motivated men and women that are willing to serve and put themselves on the line to, to run, we had a room at a Holiday Inn in Montgomery County that could not have been more full of Republicans. Yeah. Wanted to know what we could do for them and how we could win this race. That is motivating. And it's not even like we're in April where the primary election is going to be next week. It was still January. And to know that that many people are that excited about what we've got going here in the 6th District, that, that's motivating. It gets my blood going. And that was exciting. And on yeah. top of that, I, I think we have a great group of men and women that are willing to serve that were there last week. Well, two weeks ago now. Yeah, I agree. I think that, uh, and if you want my perspective, um, I think that looking at this race now, I think the race is going to come down uh, between yourself, Ami Hober, Frank Howard, and, you know, you can't discount Terry from Washington County, he's, you know, for what it's worth, he's a popular county commissioner in Washington County, and he's been reelected uh, twice, and this is his third term uh, serving on the, the, the Board of County Commissioners. But uh, I do think that um, these elections come down to name recognition. They come down to, uh, they come down to you know, they, they, people want to see authenticity, and people want to see somebody that's going to you know work really hard for them and look people hate politicians right now they do i mean it's like they're on the outs and that's what's uh i think that's what's fueling in uh this this uprising and if people feel like they don't listen that 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 politicians just stop listening but um one thing i've grown to know about you um in the last 3 years that i've known you is that you're really not a politician you know you're a you're a simple guy. You you have two kids, and you, you really care about this country, and uh, you want to do something that is going to leave a lasting legacy for you know, and make this place a better place to live. So that's what I've learned about you, delegate vote, and um, you know, I think that that's why your candidacy is doing well. I appreciate that, and you were, you know, you and I go back. Pretty much further than just about anybody else, I left yeah. the court in Maryland. Um, definitely right there. One of our, our relationships, friendship, definitely goes back that far. And we've always connected on the sense that, you know, you can tell the difference when you meet somebody, whether they're authentic. And, you know, within a matter of a couple of minutes. And even more than that, you when you take the time to talk to them and discuss issues, even if it's only for 15 minutes and it's the last time you see them for months or years, you, you can get that idea. And I, I I can't say that I've ever felt that when I've had the opportunity, and that's why I get my cell phone out to everybody I meet, is it's hard in a minute sometimes to get a read on who it is that's going to best serve you or who it is that best connects to as an individual. And you and I have had a unique ability over three years that you know me better than most. But, you know, I put my cell phone number out there all the time. Oh, yeah. And, I'm, you know, I tell folks, I'm Dave. I'm David. I'm your Marie. Let's talk. Let's have coffee. 
let's get together. Let's talk about what's important to you as an individual, for your family, for your kids. Because, you know, like you said, you know, my kids are my heart and soul. And they're why I fight every day, it, both when I was in uniform and now that I'm out of uniform. And providing a future, I actually was speaking to one of our young Republicans um, a few weeks ago. And young Republicans are beginning to take over you know, what the future of our party is going to be. But they asked, what, if, what, what do I tell people or what do you tell people? Why do you do this? You're 31 years old. And so, simply for me, there's 19 trillion reasons why I do this. The deficit, <laughs> the amount of college debt we see as the kids this, this generation, but none of those reasons are more important than a five-year-old and Joseph David vote, a three-year-old they fellow Robert vote, that I have to be able to look at them and know I did everything within my power to provide a future for them that they can be prosperous. <clears throat> so last time, I mean, during the debate, um, it's pretty smooth sailing. I mean, I think they asked you an equal amount of questions. You got to talk about economics. You got to talk about um, the national security, talk about, you know, the threats facing our nation. You, you've got the, you, you had the opportunity to talk about energy. Um, and then, Oh boy! And then came the question about the life issues. Um, so now that you're on my show, um, I, I feel like the moderator should have asked all the candidates where they stand. Um, so you want to go ahead and talk about that? I, I agree with you completely. I think that that's one of those that were like two that they actually asked everybody. And even then, though, in a debate like that, I don't know that it's fair because a yes or no answer to a question really doesn't give an answer. It's a great way to hide, in my personal opinion. <laughs> but I think that particular question should have been posed to everybody, all eight members of the board that were there for that debate. And, you know, personally, like I did, I addressed it the next question I had because I think folks deserve to have it. I was endorsed by Marilyn Michael Weiss in my election to the House of Delegates, is that I am and always will fight to protect life. In the House of Delegates, we've seen that come in um, a diff- different facets. We've seen that come in the their state funding that goes to Planned Parenthood. We've seen that come in the area that there was a bill last year that was called Death with Dignity. There's different areas that we as, you know, conservatives, for the most part, but, you know, it's not necessarily just restricted to that because I do know folks in the Democrat Party that agree that life is an inalienable right, as we see, and it's proven in the written Constitution. And if we aren't protecting an individual's right to protect that, that in any way we can, even in circumstances where that means we find in do research and put hard work into questioning settled law or questioning, finding ways to, is that necessarily the right decision? That's the, that's the decision elected officials have put it to. And that's what I take seriously as a delegate and we'll take seriously as a is We've always got to be looking for what's the right answer 
best solution for protecting everybody's individual inalienable right to life. And um, sometimes that means we find ways to challenge that law. Um, so there's a there's actually a bill I, th- I believe that's coming before the General Assembly, and it it deals with uh, assisted what they call a doctor patient assisted suicide or something along the lines like that, and um, death with dignity I believe. And is that something? Is that a bill that you could support or or not support? No, I haven't seen the new bill that they're going to bring forward this year, and but I can tell you from last year, oh, I did not support it, and the one of the main reasons I didn't support it was because there were too many loopholes in which we could find abuse of the power that that could grant, and. Another reason, the secondary reason, is I personally and you know, my direct family have not been or faced with a situation where I had a family member that either had a terminal illness or in some cases right. even or coma has become a large conversation in this case. Is I've, But I have known folks that did. And it's fact that a friend of mine that I knew years ago had a family member that was in a coma that woke up from that coma and was able to go back to their normal life. And they've told me, you know, that had we been too quick to pull the trigger on something like that, it it eliminated the freedom of being able to live that life for that member of their family. And that's one of the things I think of, and that's one of the things I thought of with last week's bill, is that we're not enough protections for life. And that's why I posted last year. And I am fully, I want to see the new bill. I'm told that there are some changes this year, but I, I can't tell you directly about what this bill is this year because I haven't had it put my hand to read yet, but last year he did oppose it. Okay. Um, another issue that was discussed during the the CD6 debate was the Second Amendment and Hey, up in Frederick County, there's a there's a lot of people, many of your constituents that are pushing for Governor Hogan to. Um, how is it that he is there? Is there a possibility that he could allow Maryland to become a, a concealed carry state? Is that an executive action, David? Well, Governor Hogan has a lot more ability. Without without the ability to just completely override from the legislature's action, is there's several regulations in place that are managed by this state police and the subsidiary areas that you go in and we we've been looking at. I know his folks have been looking at eliminating a lot of the regulations that, for example, make vague rules about what is a reasonable cause or fees that go in place that make it difficult for people to you know, apply for permits on top of that. Those are areas I know for a fact because Governor Hogan, his folks, and his legislative staff are looking at that we can attack regulation side of things. Where we've seen some limitations in Maryland that some other states have run into is under Governor Martin O'Malley passed legislation signed into law 
that make Maryland one of the worst Second Amendment states in the country. Yeah. Once that legislation passed by the legislature and was signed by the governor under Martha Valley, that handcuffed what Governor Hogan could do by executive order. So we've got to find areas to eliminate regulation and to write new legislation to start to chip away at that. Because they, they basically went after it almost as far as they possibly could. And they got most of it under Governor O'Malley. That's why so many people know him as the gut-grabbing O'Malley policy. Yeah. And those are all areas that you know, we're going to chip away. We've done research. Where I actually met with Maryland LSU, the NRA state-level leadership today, and discussing some of those areas that we can stop it from getting worse most definitely. Where we can also look at the regulations one by one, what we can eliminate, and now we're also drafting legislation that will make it easier for folks to have and exercise their rights area and protect themselves. I mean, shouldn't we, as a state, I mean, should, and, and as a Congress, I mean, shouldn't we make it as easy as possible for law-abiding citizens to protect themselves and their family, whether it be through concealed carry or open carry, which I'm a proponent of? I mean, shouldn't we make it as easy as possible without jumping through all these regulatory hoops to purchase a legal firearm and you know, go through a background check? I don't think any of us oppose a background check, which I think is important. But, I mean, it's just when they enacted SB 281, the state of Maryland made it exponentially harder for law-abiding citizens in this state to legally carry a firearm and protect themselves and their person. You're absolutely right. And I agree completely, have a position where I carried a weapon for a living protect our nation. Law-abiding citizens should not be the ones that any of these central folks are targeting. And anybody that supports a governor like Martin O'Malley that restricted those laws is absolutely absurd. That's why I'm absolutely optimistic that we've got a legislature, many on the Democrat side as well, that realize law-abiding citizens are not the ones we should be restricting. There's an protection of those rights, that in essence, I can protect my family, my family. I abide by the laws, I pay my taxes, I pass all these, any security check background you can possibly do. I should not be limited in what I'm doing to attempt to exercise my constitutional rights. And I believe that we can start to see some of that headway this year. Well, I hope so, and I know that uh, you know. I know that the candidates running for CD eight, or I'm sorry, CD six. Um, you know, you you folks are you're in it to to ensure that our Second Amendment rights are protected, as well as our uh, you know, our, our, as well as our national security. And that's what the most important function of our federal government is: is to secure for the common defense and. Um, Delegate Vote, you, I don't know if you had a chance to watch the President's State of the Union address last night, um, but it was certainly low-rated, that's for sure. Um, he, he didn't get a lot of ratings uh, like he usually 
tries to, but uh, it was sort of underwhelming. And I don't know if it really quelled my fears about what's happening. I don't think the president has a plan for ISIS. Do you feel the same way? The entire thing from start to finish, I see a good majority of it. And where there's just certain messages he sent both verbally and non-verbally throughout his speech and really throughout his entire administration. It doesn't seem that there's one of two things is the case. Either he does not grasp the risk that we are facing with ISIS and how dangerous this risk is, or he doesn't care. I would like to believe it's honestly that he doesn't grasp it because the idea of having a commander-in-chief that doesn't care is just absolutely alarming, and especially considering we still have another year with him as our president commander-in-chief. And it's very disappointing to know, especially considering we have hundreds of thousands of men and women that put their lives on the line day in and day out to protect us, just to be what feels like undermined and disrespected by the guy that they're fighting to protect and that is supposed to be their mentor and boss. I, I really, really hope this year is a year that you know, folks see, and I mentioned this in the debate a couple of weeks ago, to see that there is a hope that this is not the status quo that we all should become acceptable with. That there is a brighter tomorrow that we can be a part of. I agree. I hope so. Um, and that's why, you know, that's why I glean from from your campaign. That's why you're running, and that's why you're taking on John Delaney. Who look, uh, delegate vote. We know it's going to be a tough battle, but um, I think the that our candidates are strong. And that we have the right message and the values that uh, yourself and you know a few others that are running have an opportunity to really unwind John Delaney's record and present a clear alternative. So I don't think that this question was asked during the debate, but I'll ask you, um, you know, why do you think that you're best suited to defeat Congressman John Delaney? <laughs> a couple of different areas that I would say very clearly. And one of those is we've got to create a stark contrast between John Delaney that has become the rubber stamp for bad policy. He's become the image of this guy is completely disconnected with the congressional district on every level to include doesn't live in it. And a third richest member of Congress that has no idea what it means to fight to put food on the table and keep the lights on. As well as as far down as youth, passion, energy, fervor. I can contrast every element of all of those things and I can do it in a way that still has proven leadership, proven experience, 
voting record to back up my ability to stand up behind that experience and and tenacity to never quit, which is what voters deserve. Well, um, and one thing I really admire about this election is, uh, or this race so far, is that um, yourself and many of the other candidates who are running in this primary have been very above board. You haven't attacked one another personally. You haven't said mean things. You're not out there every day hammering at each other on social media. It's been a very pleasant um, issues-based campaign, and undoubtedly, I think that uh, I think that I think it's going to be. Um, I think it's going to be the same as we carry it out. I, um, this is about issues, and this is not about personal attacks either. So, And I, I appreciate that, and I think the residents also appreciate that. I agree completely. If you cannot stand on your principles on policies that you can actually be influential on, then you, you shouldn't be running in the first place as far as I'm concerned. Right, right. Um and and you certainly are running on principles, and I know that you're you're out and about um, every every weekend, and I know that you're going to be tied up with session, but um, you're you're planning to come back to the district, of course, during the weekends and campaign. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. I will be out there every breath and chance I have when we're not on the in session or in committee hearing. Good. Um, and what's where are some places that voters in the 6th District in the next couple of weeks can come out and find you? This weekend, specifically, I'll be in Frederick County on Saturday, and, I'll, and for Saturday afternoon, I'll be up in Allegheny County later Saturday, and then Sunday I'll also be you know, in different areas in both Washington and Frederick. So. That's good. That's great. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man, and it means a lot that you came on and uh, we had a great conversation and I'm looking forward to seeing this this legislative session unwind I hope that you you continue to to push through good policy I hope that uh, your bills are successful and um, you know give the best to the governor from us and we're going to try to come down to Annapolis get together and uh, I, I like spending time there during sessions it's always fun um, so you know delegate vote thanks a lot and you know Wish you really the best in your and your election moving forward, and you know keep us in the loop. Keep tell us what's going on, and I hope we can bring you back soon, and you can talk about session. Absolutely, I, I would love to. And if you end up down here, let's uh, let me know so we can get together. Absolutely. All right. Well, this is uh, Delegate David Vote. He's a congressional candidate uh, for Maryland's sixth congressional district, and also he represents. Uh, the 4th Legislative District in Maryland. So, David, oh, one last thing. Where can people find you on the web? I was I was actually about to say that is if folks can find me, it's Vote, my last name, V-O-G-T, F-O-R, Congress.com, and I'm on Facebook. You can put my name into David Vote, and you'll actually get two results. you get my personal page and our campaign page, and you Keep in touch with everything. Volunteer. All right. So, Delegate David Vote, um, thanks for your time. Good luck in Annapolis session. And uh, we'll talk with you soon. Sounds great. Have a wonderful week this week. Oh, thanks so much. And best of luck and uh, tear it up down there. Will do. All right. Take care. Thanks, David. Take care. Bye.
fun. He's good. <laughs>